women are powerful and have accomplished great things. Yet, sometimes we suffer from self-doubt, fear, and limiting beliefs. We often believe that we are not good enough. These negative beliefs stop us from achieving our goals. Welcome to Sprinting to Success, a podcast dedicated to women who have experienced struggles, yet found ways to step into their power, their greatness, and learn to embrace challenges. These women will share their stories and give you insights to help you on your path so you can follow your dreams. And now, here's your host, Esme Lawrence. My name is Esme Lawrence, and welcome to Sprinting to Success podcast. My guest today has shared her publishing and marketing strategies for impact, influence, and income with business owners, medical professionals, subject matter experts, and local marketing consultants at Harvard, Microsoft, Coca-Cola, NASDAQ, as well as SCORE, SBDC, Sea Grant, and many chambers and local organizations. She is the creator of Women Innovators podcast and publishing programs, as well as the Thought Leaders Show and the Daily Success Institute. Welcome to Sprinting to Success podcast, Tammy Patzer. Wow, thank you for such a beautiful introduction. <laughs> wow, thank you. You are welcome. I'm just so happy that you're here with me to share your experience today. So let's go back to your childhood. Tell us about that. Uh, well, I grew up in a really small town called Philomath, Oregon. And my dad was a saw filer, which means he sharpened saws um, for the lumber mills in town. And my mom uh, was a stay-at-home mom, but she also helped my dad with the books and the paperwork. And she was also a novelist. Oh, nice. So that's where you got your writing skills from, right? Yeah. When I was in the third grade, I was in Girl Scouts and I wrote the Girl Scout news for the Corvallis Gazette Times because I wanted that coveted scribe badge and I still have that somewhere. And over the years, um, I was part of Smoke Signals, <laughs> which was our <laughs> junior high newspaper. And journalism was something that I was always really interested in. And it actually ended up being my career. Although I was a little bit of a late bloomer getting to college, I didn't make it to college until my 30s because like many people, um, I got married when I was 18, uh, had a baby and was divorced by the time I was 21. Wow, all right. You have life journey behind you. And uh, yeah, same thing with me. I wound up because I was an athlete. I ended up going to university at a later age in my 30s. So we have that in common, which is really nice. Well, sometimes, you know, like I said, I call myself a late bloomer. But, you know, I think everything happens in perfect time. And uh, my daughter actually um, has a PhD because I instilled that love of learning in her. Right. And it's really interesting how, you know, you do what you have to do to make it through life. Right. Definitely. Because, you know, life happens for us. <laughs> right. So what are some of the struggles that you had in your life when you were, say, your teenager? 
um, years. What are some of those struggles? Well, my mother was sick. So from a very early age, I was constantly worried that my mom was going to die at any time oh. because she had heart problems and, and different problems. And so, you know, think about it, a little kid, nine years old, I think for me, the biggest struggle that I had was always being worried that my mom was going to die. And if I had to say my mom made one mistake, it was telling me that if anything ever happened to her, that my dad wouldn't take care of me. So I basically lived in a big fear of abandonment. And I would say that other than that, yeah. <laughs> you know, I look at I look at it, and I would say that my teenage years were, I, I was a high achiever. I was one of those students that I studied um, hard, but at the same time, I didn't study hard because good grades seemed to come naturally. And I remember not really understanding that not everybody could get A's, and so right. sometimes I had that imposter syndrome that I wasn't really smart. And it's funny because you're an athlete and I had a lot of friends who were athletes and I wasn't, I was always overweight. So I was the, the girl who was 170 pounds all the way through and all my friends were these little teeny petite people. And I wanted to participate with them. So I played basketball. I played volleyball. I played softball. I was even on the track team, even though I couldn't run. I did shot put and discus. <laughs> nice. So, so even though you, um, you had issues with your weight, it wasn't going to stop you. You stepped into your fear and you tried out for the track team anyways. Yeah. And again, I, I wasn't a runner to this day. I'm not a runner. I mean, um, I used to get side aches is probably because I didn't know how to breathe. Right. But I actually did end up going to state for discus and shot put nice. because I, I did focus on things I could do when it came to nice. sports. And of course, later when I did end up going to college, I did what I loved, which turned out to be journalism, mass communications, and that ended up being my career. Oh, really? That's nice that you found something that you wanted to do so early in life. Yes. And, and it's interesting because, you know, I don't know if you have any children. I do. I have three children. <laughs> okay. I have three children too. So my daughter is actually 12 years older than my oldest son. And then I have two sons. And as I was struggling, because I became a single mom when I was 21 years old. And wow. I didn't meet the father of my two sons until my daughter was nearly, I think she was eight. And then I ended up having the two boys when she was 12. And that relationship right. didn't work out. So I ended up being a single mom with three kids. And that education component became very important to me because I was trying to raise three kids with no child support right. on $8 an hour. Wow. And this was in the 90s. And it's so sad because even today, 2000, almost 20, people are still trying to make ends meet on those low wages that didn't right. cut it back in the 90s. Right. And that's why I went back to school because in the 90s, I got my social security statement and it said, 
oh, well, when you're retired, you're going to get like $900 a month. And, mm-hmm. and I've always worked in Florida, which is a right to work state with, you know, that means we didn't have pensions or retirement plans. And I looked at that and I'm wow. saying, oh my goodness, what can I do that I could be 90 years old and still be working? And that right. became, oh, go back to school get a master's degree because I could be an old lady standing in front of the classroom at least teaching English. Right. That's right. <laughs> so that was what I saw for myself was that I would be working forever. And luckily I don't think that's going to be the case anymore. That is so true. You know, it's funny because um when you look when I when you talk about being a single mom, I'm the product of a single mom. My mom had um, five of us and and I saw the struggle that my mom went through you know, not having our father involved. And that was so tough, you know, and I would never wish that on anyone because, you know, like, I mean, that food was an issue. My mom, she always knew where to go to shop, but it was, it was tough um, feeding five kids, clothing five kids and making sure that she kept an eye on us. So that was a big challenge. So what was the biggest challenge for you as a single mom? I'd say the biggest challenge for me was, Exactly that. Trying to be a good role model, bringing in enough money to cover not only the basics, but to have, you know, more than the roof over the head and trying to get rid of the stigma of poverty. And it was, I think for me, I didn't ever see myself as poor. Um, I did see that all of my money was going to pay for childcare, and that was very difficult trying to pay for, you know, before school care, after school care, and I was always very focused, and whenever things got tough, I really think I was fortunate because I always had somebody to think about besides myself, and so it was always like I have to figure out how to make sure that my kids grow up to be good people, that they grow up not seeing the stigma of poverty. And I didn't even realize that we were poor because I was always working. But later when my daughter told some stories about growing up and she talked about um, you know, me as the role model and about how sometimes we didn't have you know, enough money for certain things, and I was just kind of like dumbfounded to learn that how poor we had been <laughs> because right. I didn't really yes. see it that way. But it's funny that you talked about your mom and you said your mom always knew how to do things. For me, it was ask Tammy. And to this day, <laughs> whenever people need help or to figure out something, they all go, they all say, go ask Tammy, she'll know what to do. Because just like you said, when you don't have a lot of money, you figure out how do you get medical care? How do you get food? um, How do you cut corners on different things to pay the bills? What do you go without? Um, What do you save up for? And you become very good at seeing, you know, what is available or learning what's available. And I actually helped a lot of people when I had one job, all these people back then, they were, you know, telephone operator jobs, you know, making low wages. And 
what I did during breaks and lunch hours, because we have those famous 15 minute breaks, you know, 10 o'clock to 1015. Right. And then noon to 1230 or 1230 to one was the lunch break. And I helped a lot of people fill out the financial aid forms to go to college. And this was before the internet. But that was one of my missions. It was like, hey, did you know that you can get a Pell Grant? You can get a grant to go to school so you don't have to always be, you know, working at these low-end jobs. Because with a grant, if you go to a community college, that typically will pay for the tuition and the books and you have a little left over you know, to get back and forth to school. So I helped a lot of people fill out that financial aid form so that they could go to school because that's what I did because I saw that as a way up and out of poverty. And it, it did help, you know, the bachelor's degree helped a certain level. And then of course the master's degree did make it so that I could work at a college and I taught mass communications for more than 10 years at the University of South Florida, while I was also working a full-time job as a newspaper editor. So I was right. became very good at piecing together enough income to support my little family so that they could, you know, have more than just the basics. Right. Same thing with my single mom. Um, she would work two, three jobs, you know, sometimes. And also she, when she was in her 50s, she went back to school and became a nurse's aide. And so that was her way of, um, you know, showing us that even though um, we are poor, you should never give up. Keep learning. And she ended up, you know, getting a, a good job and making good wages you know, um, for herself and for the family. I mean, me living in Canada, it was really good because we had, um, well, universal health care. So we didn't have to worry about if I broke my arm or whatever, you know, that wasn't an issue, right? But when I found out, when I found out I was poor, this is what happened. My mom went to this um, store that they sell really cheap stuff. We call it Honest Heads in Toronto. Uh, this is in Canada. And so we would have the bag, um, the Honest Heads bag, that I would take to school with me. And then people would look at me and start laughing because they know that only people who are poor carry those bags and you should be embarrassed to carry that bag to school. I didn't know any different. I didn't know I'm not supposed to bring the bag to school. So then I realized, oh my gosh, we're really poor, <laughs> right? You know, but my mom would make sure that even though she shopped at those places, it didn't matter. We, made, she, uh, we always had the clothes, even though it wasn't the best clothes, um, we had clothes to put on. Right. So I couldn't compete with those girls and I wasn't trying to compete with them because I didn't know that, uh, you know, that um, I was so poor. But, you know, but my mom was so resourceful. And, and that's what I really loved about her. She was resourceful. She found ways and she was so positive. So what I want to ask you is, um, how did you keep going when times got tough for you? So what help did you get and how did your faith help you um, overcome some of those um, negative thoughts and, and fear? It's interesting that you asked about that because um, the very fact that I really did have a deep faith in God and angels, my mother always, a very simple prayer when I was growing up, and it was, now I lay me down to sleep, angels guard my little nest, glad and well, may I wake, I ask it all for Jesus' sake. So that was the prayer my mother taught me. And it's funny because, you know, you grow up and other people have other 
prayers. But so that prayer obviously is that I'm being protected by angels <laughs> all the time. So over the years, I mean, again, I, like I said, whenever anything got really tough, I'd think about, oh my God, I can't be feeling sorry for myself because I have responsibilities. And being responsible is kind of an interesting thing because sometimes it's overwhelming but at the same time, that responsibility will keep you going. Right. And I did always ask for guidance, ask for help, you know. And I'm not saying that it was always a smooth sailing thing. And I did search for different like churches for, for support. And I always, it was really difficult because I believe that God takes care of everybody. So I had a hard time in many churches where they said you had to believe a certain way or this was going to happen to you or God was going to smite you or be mean to you. And I'm going, oh, my God, you know, my God is a good God who who loves me and takes care of me. That is always my right. thought. And when I was a teenager, one thing that I did do was I went to Thailand as an American Field Service student. And that was a really life-changing thing because when I went there, I lived with a Chinese family living in Thailand. They happened to be Christians, but there was another girl. She lived with a family who were Buddhists. And we were on a train from Trong to Bangkok, which was like an all-day train ride, you know, into the night. Um, and she's crying. And I'm like, well, what's wrong? And she says, I'm really sad because my family, I love them so much. This was her adopted Thai family. I love them so much, but they're Buddhists, and they're not going to go to heaven. <laughs> And I was 17 and I said to her, I said, well, God wouldn't do that. And this is where I crossed that line of, you know, where people say you have to do certain things in order to go to heaven. And right. so, but my belief system is that God is a good God and that I'm accepting of people from around the globe of, you know, so it isn't that you have to be a Christian or, or a Muslim or a Buddhist or, or anything that I believe that there's one God who takes care of all of us and that he gets to people in different ways. <laughs> That's, right. you know, it's a very simplistic way of looking at things. But that connection that I have with the God of my understanding and my, you know, some people call it divine, some people call it God, some people say it's Jesus, the Holy Trinity. For me, it's that I have a personal connection to the God of my understanding, and I've always felt that. And I think that's how I was able to make it through when things got really, really tough, because my mother died in 1985 when I was 27. My, we lived in Florida at that time. As soon as my mom died, my dad went back to Oregon, where we were from, and it left me alone with my daughter. And there I was like, oh, I don't have anybody here, yet I didn't want to go back to Oregon because it's cold in the winter, yes. and I like to yes. be warm. Right. So I really think that everybody, if, you know, they all have their direct connect to the, their higher power, 
And I think it's important that people um, develop that. It's funny because I spent a lot of my time, all I ever asked for was, let's make it through this day, you know, survival. Uh, it was always about surviving. And now it's more about um, abundance, expansion, because I realize that God will give you whatever you ask for and that it isn't just about survival, that you can actually right. create the life that you want. Um, and, and part of that is to have that deep, you know, a, a spiritual relationship, but it's different for every person. You, you know, I, I'm right. very accepting of different people's beliefs. Um, and I guess the only thing for me is that, hey, yes, there is a higher power. Right. My mom was a woman of faith, too, and that kept her going, you know, during those struggles. And I am a woman of faith, and I believe that God will take care of us. And, uh, you know, so whatever you ask for, uh, you know, I mean, it will happen if you work for it. Because you can ask, for, ask God for things, and if you don't, if you just sit back and do nothing, nothing's going to happen. But, uh, but God will help you if you help yourself. Right. So, so I, I lean on God in the good times and in the bad times. Yes. And you're absolutely right. I'm, I'm a really good example of that. God helps those who help themselves. Um, a flood was coming uh, to Florida and I had a, a little house on my property that would, I had rented to someone. And I knew that if we didn't put sandbags around it, the odds were that it was going to flood inside the house. Right. So my son and I went and we got sandbags and we filled them with sand. And I asked the renter, I said, could you please help put these sandbags around the house so that your stuff doesn't get wrecked? And she says, oh, no, I have to go pray at the church. Oh. <laughs> and, and, I, and I remember thinking to myself, as my son and I were filling sandbags and putting them around the house, I was praying, dear God, please don't let this little house flood. Please, you know, please help. But at the same time, I was acting. I was doing something to prevent it from getting damaged. And to me, that was prayer in action and right. and but it really said something about how some people think that the only place that you're connected to God is at a church and that's not true and anywhere you are right. you're you've got this protection you've got God you have angels you have um you know you have good protection around you all the time and even when like you said even at the lowest points that's when God or Jesus picks you up and carries that's right. you, just like the footprint poem. That's right. He's everywhere, right? <laughs> so, so you're protected no matter what. It doesn't matter what situation you're in. So now let's go. Let's turn to you're a social media expert. A lot of people are now using social media, such as Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Is there a right way or a wrong way to be on social media? Right or wrong way, I would say that there's there's the biggest thing is you don't want to be um, showing um, fake things on social media. You should try to be real, transparent, consistent, right. and you don't have to be on every single platform. You should choose a platform where you're comfortable and where your ideal clients and customers are, because I think that's the 
that's the most important thing is you be where the people are you're trying to attract and um again some people think they have to be everywhere in order to be seen but the truth is you need to be in the right places to be seen and then be consistent right now how do you know where your ideal clients are uh, the way i know is wherever i see people who actually respond to me and talk to me a lot of my ideal clients are on facebook for example i'm not a tweeter or a twitter person so i don't feel comfortable there so i hang out mainly i use facebook and linkedin because that's where professional people are but most of the people right. are either on facebook or instagram for me personally and so for individuals you just have to know you know what i sell is you know book publishing social media um someone who might be selling a, a different product might be someone who maybe they should be tweeting maybe they should right. be more on instagram or pinterest is really good for visual things so it really depends podcasting is another platform and i think with podcasting you should be sharing it um, all over and they make that really easy because again if you're podcasting it can go out to you know apple podcast google right. podcast stitcher spreaker all over but the main thing is is to share it and not to be afraid to keep promoting and talking about yourself and not everything that you do is about promoting but the beauty of a podcast for example is that when you talk to people you always have this really high quality original content that is very interesting because everyone you talk to is totally different right exactly so everybody has such great stories that you can share yes and it's funny because a lot of us we don't realize that some of the stories that we have are interesting and it does make us relatable right to other people and you know like for example in just a couple little stories that I shared, you know, okay, so you know that I was overweight, you know, my mother died when I was very young, um, you know that I was a single mom, and that I've had struggles. Right. And so most people would go, oh, well, I can relate to at least one of those things, and the beauty of it all is here I am today able to share that um because i've made it you know through the through all of those different life situations until today and so here i am right. talking with you that's right voila <laughs> that's awesome so why is video important in establishing a brand i think video is so important because number one you can see and hear and it's interesting because when I first started out in 2009, I still was working at, and at the time I was working in Sarasota, which was an hour and a half each way commute for me from where I was living. And I was trying to switch to become an entrepreneur. And I was trying to attract doctors plastic surgeons and functional medicine doctors so what i did is i made videos i'd get up in the morning and i'd put my makeup on and i i would mm -hmm. say hi i'm tammy patzer and i think i can help you 
<laughs> and I'd make videos and I would send these videos to these doctors. Well, one of the doctors contacted me and made the appointment from my video. I remember I went in to see him and I wore the same outfit that I had worn in the video when I went to see him in person. He sees me, walks up to me, gives me this big hug as if he knew me yes. when he didn't know me at all. All he ever had from me was a video where I was talking to him saying, hey, I think I can help you. And then I was describing what I could do. But that's the power of video. Right. Because people see you, they hear you, they can, you know, they go, hey, she talks with her hands. Right. <laughs> and then they feel like they know you. So you cut through all of that getting to know you time right, right. and you can literally create high quality relationships in a few minutes using video so i'm very pro video i i love videos too because you're right people see you they connect with you and uh you know they know if they want to work with you or not yes and video another thing that's really cool about video especially today you have Facebook Lives, so you can come on and, and have an audience. You can download those, re-upload those into YouTube. They can be optimized with search engine optimization for proper keywords. If you're a brick and mortar company, you can dominate in your hometown area. If you're a virtual company, you always have content that you can share on all the different platforms because video is hot and, and it's been yes. hot and it will remain hot. So I would put that on my list of things to use in all of my marketing. Video should right. be at the top of the list. And another thing about video is that you can transcribe it. So now you have blog posts. You can cut the audio right. from the video, and now you have audio. Uh, right. You can share it. You can cut it up. You can do all kinds of really cool things with video. Oh, and that's why I love video. Um, so in addition to um, you, know, you being, um, you know, um, helping others on, on social media, you also help people become international best-selling authors. And so if someone wants to write a book, what is the first thing that you would um, tell them to do? The first thing that I would tell them to do, and the, the people I help are uh, typically subject matter experts. I do not help people write novels or that type, but I typically am helping people who are subject matter experts or business people, entrepreneurs. So the first thing is that you can do that will really be useful is literally set the timer for 15 minutes and brainstorm the frequently asked questions that your best clients and customers ask you. And then once you have that, set your timer again and brainstorm the should ask questions that people don't know enough to ask you, but they should be asking so that they can make the best decisions. And then that can actually become your Ask the Expert book. And mm. that's one way. Another thing that you can do is you can actually go look up your topic on Amazon and look at all the books that are already in existence 
and go to the look inside feature and look at their table of contents, look to see what they're all talking about, and then you can fill in the gaps of what they're missing. And that would make you the top expert in a certain topic that you're working on. So frequently asked questions, should ask questions, Go check out the books that are already out on the subject and fill in the gaps. And then another system that works really well, it's like a matrix system. And you literally can set up on a Word document a table and you can make 10, 10 by 10, for example. If you ask 10 questions, uh, 10 answers. By the time you get done doing all of that with topics, right. you'd end up with a 10 to 12 chapter book just by oh, wow. um, asking, you know, about topics and, and sentences. That, so there's a lot of things that you can do. And then another thing that is really cool is you can have somebody interview you and ask you questions and then you verbally say that and you get that transcribed and then you can edit that and that could help you to, to speak your book. Right. Oh, wow. Those are great tips. So what can authors do to market their book um, beyond bestseller? The beyond the bestseller, um, what happened is in late 2016, right after the presidential election here in the United States, a lot of women were feeling very voiceless and I was feeling very voiceless and I was broke. <laughs> I was <laughs> at a point where I'd already done 150 podcast interviews and I was trying to monetize them by selling my press release services and doing things like that. And it was like, oh my goodness, I'm going to have to go get a J-O-B because I <laughs> oh, didn't no. have any money. <laughs> And I got mad at God. My relationship with God and the angels hasn't always been smooth sailing. But I said, God, you know, what am I going to do? I said, give me some answers. You know, I don't, I, you know, I was over 50. And it's difficult when you're over 50 to go out and get a J-O-B because you're competing with younger people who will work for a lot less than what you will. Right. So I was getting really desperate. So literally, this happened like on a Wednesday night, Saturday morning, I woke up with an idea. And the idea was that I was going to write a book called Women Innovators, Leaders, Makers, and Givers, Women Who Make a Daily Difference. And I was going to write this book by doing interviews on my podcast, and the women would pay me to be in the book and they got to be on my podcast and I literally just put out a notice on Facebook that's why I love Facebook so much right and I said hey I'm writing a book if you're interested private message me so people private messaged me I sent them how much it would be to be in my book to get a chapter that was Saturday morning by Sunday night I had 64 women who had raised wow and said I want to be in your book and all of a wow. sudden I started to have cash flow I turned that into actually eight volumes 
of women innovators, leaders, makers, and givers, because I wanted to make sure that every woman stood out and I wanted my name on it and I wanted my editor's name on it because editors are important. So eight women per book and then my name and then my editor's name. And what happened with that is I did a bestseller campaign. I sold the books at 99 cents and they became bestsellers in a lot of different categories on Amazon. And then all the women were like, okay, Tammy, well, what's next? What's beyond the bestseller? So I created, I, I wrote press releases about all the women and the fact they were bestsellers. I, um, I used the podcast interviews to promote the books and the interviews. I helped everybody, I taught them how to push the share button on to share the book and also to share the podcast interviews and to share the press releases. So all of that became a marketing program that I called Beyond the Bestseller. And I still see it to this day. People become bestsellers. International bestseller means that your book sold not only in the United States, but also in Canada, UK, Australia, and Germany, that it sold in some other place beyond the United States. And that actually has become like my, my rallying cry, you know, is let's take it beyond the bestseller because you're not doing these books um, to make a lot of money off of the books. You're using these books as your business builder, as a tool to help you to promote yourself, to get on stages. Many people want to be speakers, to sell products, to sell your services, because authors, you know, author equal authority, and you use that bestseller status to help you to grow your online presence and with the press releases for example for every press release i send out it gets picked up by between 200 to 400 abc nbc cbs fox cw affiliates plus newspapers and magazines many of the people that i've worked with they now have their own coaching programs they may have their own product lines that they've gone on, several of the people have gone on to create their own best-selling book series. That is awesome because um, I've actually been thinking about that, like inviting women to come join me and um, in an anthology book because I did an anthology book and I loved it. I love the process. I'm thinking I could do that, <laughs> but I was like, okay, when I find the time, I'll do it. But that's something I'm, I'm, you know, in the back of my mind that I'm going to um, do hopefully next year sometime. So Tammy, what do you want to share with our audience? What do I want to share with with your audience? Yes. I would say that if you have a big message and a big mission, ask yourself, what is really stopping you? You know, just like you, you said, well, time. Is it really about time or do you have some underlying fear? And sometimes the fear isn't about fear of failure. Sometimes it's the fear of success. That's true. Because what are you going to do if you become successful? And, you know, we have our families and sometimes our families are our biggest advocates. And sometimes our families are, are trying to hold us down because they're afraid for us. 
to dream right. too big. And like I said earlier, I said for the longest time, all I ever was thinking about was all I wanted was let's survive. Let's survive. Let's make it through this. But the reality is, if you have that faith in God, does God just want you to survive? No. No. He wants us to succeed God <laughs> big time. He wants us to have it all, to be abundant, right. to be wealthy. And when I say wealthy, it's not just about money, but to have the the mind, body, soul connection, to have good right. relationships, to just have a good, happy life while we're here. And that think about who we touch in our lives, right. who we can inspire in our lives. That's why I'm so happy to be with you today is because I'm thinking about, you know, our conversations, but think about it. If we can inspire just one person to believe, hey, if she can do it, I can do it too. Yes, that's right. How yes. cool is that? And I really believe real cool in everyone has this big message and a big mission. That's why we're here. And my role, I'm the messenger's messenger. I, everything right. about, if I look all the way back, remember the Girl Scout news, the, the newspaper, the, my radio background, my TV background, my book publishing background, my podcast background, Ground. It's all about helping other people get their message out to the world. Right. And so that's what I'm here for. I'm here to help people get that message out, to help spread the message and the big mission. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Tammy. So you can learn more about Tammy on esmelawrence.com. So thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for listening to this awesome podcast and have an amazing day. Thank you. And everyone, I'm sprinting to success with Esme Lawrence. Thank you for listening to Sprinting to Success with your host, Esme Lawrence. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this show on iTunes. For more information about Esme and to hear other episodes of the show, go to EsmeLawrence.com. The information in this podcast is not intended as a substitute for professional or medical treatment or advice. Always seek advice from your healthcare provider.